Hello and welcome to Falmouth Vineyard's audio podcast. We're really grateful that you're joining us today. Our vision is to see Cornwall coming alive through the hope and freedom that Jesus brings. To find out more about who we are or how to connect with us, visit falmouthvineyard.org. We'd love to hear from you. First Sunday of Advent, um, have you been frantically inviting people to beer and carols, the carol service, Christing, or all these type of things? Um, it's exciting. Um, I literally, we we try and pitch these events so that you will not be embarrassed if you bring someone and go, oh my goodness, they've done this. Why did they do that? They never normally do that. Have you ever taken someone to a church service and been like, why did they do that? They never normally do that. That's so embarrassing. <laughs> we don't ambush people, okay? If it says what it is, it's what it's going to be. So at the wreath making, we're not suddenly going to jump up and say, well, here's the gospel. Here, you're going to hell and blah, 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 blah. It's like, no, no, no. We're just going to make wreaths because we trust you to be able to have adult conversations about Jesus. So there we go. Um, apart from Advent calendars... I don't remember any Advent traditions in my household growing up. I wonder if you have any. No, yes, no, yes. Do you have Advent traditions? Um, because it's the first Sunday of Advent, and for some of you, that's going to be like, well, what does that even mean? Is that like biblical? I don't never remember Advent being in the Bible. One Hezekiah talking about the uh, the Advent of Advent. No. Um, and for many of you, will just assume that this is a season celebrated through the medium of chocolate. So if you haven't got a chocolate advent calendar, I remember two years ago when we did the stream saying, why on earth would you buy a chocolate advent calendar? Because it's just packaging. Just buy chocolate and then have a bit every day. You get so much more chocolate. But anyway, who's got the self-discipline to wait with a bar of chocolate open? Literally no one. So um, we are very holy. We have a nativity set where you build a different piece of the set for every day of Advent. Um, there is nothing more wholesome on a dark winter's morning than being woken up by an argument between your children about who opened the last one and whose turn it is to open this today's. Children fighting over nativity animals and the angels and the star kind of sums up what Christmas is all about. Um, traditionally, the four Sundays of Advent focus on hope, peace, love, and joy, and that's why you have the four different candles for each week of Advent. So over our services, these themes will very subtly be weaved through the services. So today I thought we could look at hope, and it stands alone as a talk, but it also introduces this concept of Advent so that we can approach Christmas with spiritual anticipation rather than just as headless chickens running around trying to find presents and filling our face with turkey or a vegetarian option alternative. So I thought we'd just start by praying and then we'll launch in. So just join with me. Lord God, we just thank you for this space. We thank you for this opportunity just to look at this, this subject of Advent, how we prepare spiritually for the coming of Christmas and how we anticipate the second coming of your son, Jesus. And Lord, I pray you bring this text alive and, and prepare hearts to receive this this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, if you Googled the word Advent, which I'm guessing all of you have, it will say something like this. The, the Advent means the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. So Advent, at its very simplest, is celebrating, remembering, and anticipating 
the arrival of Jesus. But not just baby Jesus at Christmas. This is about the second coming of Jesus as well. So part of Advent is about anticipating the main events. Now I'm guessing that you may have started to think about Christmas. Has anyone already got all of their Christmas presents? Yeah, I know there are people like this. I've heard of people like you that prepare way in advance. I'm more of a Christmas Eve purchaser because the sales are generally on on Christmas Eve. That's a great time to buy presents and food because it's reduced. There you go. So, um, so you'll be thinking about who's coming for lunch. You'll be thinking about presents to buy. You'll be thinking about traveling. If you're traveling for Christmas, you'll be thinking about where you're staying. You may have made a list about what you are going to eat over the festive period. You may even have made a schedule for Christmas Day of when everything needs to go into the oven. Um, maybe you have made a list around preparing your house. So it's a time when you realize that your house might be more dusty than, than it is if you're thinking, actually, I'm going to have people in my house. And goodness me, there's a lot of dust under the sofa. Well, maybe that's just me, or maybe that's just us. Uh, maybe you're thinking about deadlines, you're working towards before the Christmas break. Maybe you're thinking about the last day at work and how much needs to be done before then. Maybe I'm just stressing you out talking about this stuff because it's not even December yet. And my goodness, come on, cut some slack. Maybe you're thinking about some of the presents you need to make. Maybe you've been thinking about buying materials and making plans. Maybe this is your first Christmas on your own. Maybe this is the first Christmas with family, so Christmas is different to last year. But it is a season of preparation. It's a season of anticipation. Preparing food, preparing gifts, preparing to travel. But my question this morning would be, how are you preparing your heart for the arrival of Jesus? How are you preparing your heart for the arrival of Jesus this Christmas? So I'm going to give you, practically... Three heart postures that may help you prepare for Christmas that you can easily do around the other commitments of Christmas. Because I realize we're going into a hectic month of craziness. But my hope is that it will help us connect with the real reason for Christmas and the wonder of the incarnation rather than the glittery, sparkly, commercial mess that Christmas can become. So, Advent, as I've said, is the arrival of someone, and one of the prophetic promises through the Old Testament part of the Bible is that one day a Christ or a Messiah or a Savior will come. This Messiah will save, redeem, and rescue his people. So you can look into the Old Testament readings. So this is some of the carol service readings here, like Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, which says, which you'll probably be able to memorize, "For us, unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And we can sometimes forget that the prophetic anticipation of the Messiah when we crash into the Christmas story during December. There's a, there's a prophetic anticipation of what could be. Who is coming? Where will he arrive? What will he look like? What will he be like? What will his kingdom be like? What kind of kingdom is he going to establish? What, where, where is he going to arrive? What's it going to look like? And they would have read passages like Isaiah 53, two, verse 2. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, 
nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Verse 4, surely he took our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. And he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. So when we read the gospel accounts of Jesus' birth at Christmas, we've got to read them into the context. It wasn't expected, but it was hoped for and anticipated. And it wasn't expected in the way it happened. They went to the palace instead of the stable. There's a passage I come back to most years at the beginning of Advent. And it's the reason I like to pick up on it is because there is this theme of hope that runs through it. It picks up on this theme of anticipation. So if you've got a Bible, I'm going to read it from the screen. It's going to come up in the message translation. But we're in Luke chapter 2. This is our passage for this morning. Luke chapter 2, verse 25 to 33. Just as this. In Jerusalem... At the time, there was a man, Simeon by name, a good man, a man who lived in prayerful expectancy of help for Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him, and the Holy Spirit had shown him that he would see the Messiah of God before he died. Led by the Spirit, he entered the temple. As the parents of the child, Jesus, brought him in to carry out the rituals of the law, Simeon took him into his arms and blessed God. God, you can now release your servant. Release me in peace as you have promised. With my own eyes, I've seen your salvation. It's now out in the open for everyone to see. A God-revealing light to the non-Jewish nations and glory for your people, Israel. Now, I know what you're thinking. Is Jesus a baby here? Like, how old is Jesus? Is this really a Christmassy reading? Some of you, that's really gone. They've missed that altogether. Well, I think this is in the second chapter of Luke, and that is a Christmassy chapter for me. So this makes this a Christmassy reading, and I love that phrase, prayerfully expecting. He prayerfully expected the Messiah. I would love uh, to encourage us this morning to be preparing for Christmas with prayerful expectancy. Simeon, filled with the Holy Spirit, was prayerfully expectant to meet the Messiah He was looking forward to, he was anticipating um, meeting the Messiah. In all the craziness of Christmas, are you expecting to meet with Jesus this Christmas? That sounds like a crazy question, doesn't it? But I don't think it is. How are you going to dedicate time to quietly and prayerfully spend time in God's presence this Advent? Now, if you're here this morning, not a follower of Jesus, you're probably thinking, that sounds absolutely crazy. How can you meet with God? How can you hear God? How can you speak with God? But that is the incredible story of Christmas. The incarnation of God becoming human. God in skin. The baby in the manger is God. God is with us. That's what the word Emmanuel means. John chapter 1 verse 14 said, The word became flesh and blood and moves into the neighborhood in the message. God, who up until now is unapproachable, is except on certain days by a certain group of priests in a certain place on a certain festival, that same God has moved into the neighborhood. Philip Yancey says this, The God who created matter took shape within it, as an artist might become a spot on a painting or a playwright, a character within its own play. This is massive. God, who is present 
and creating. At creation, the story of Christmas is that God wanting to be present and recreate our lives. And Easter is the story of what it cost God to make a way for us to be present in his life. So I would love to encourage you, carve out time to prayerfully engage with Christmas, with Jesus this Christmas. The other thing I was struck by was that he hopefully anticipated the Messiah. Hopeful anticipation. Is that going to be a heart posture that you could take on this Christmas, this Advent? I wonder what you are anticipating for Christmas. What are you hoping for? Another way to put it would be, what is bringing you hope? Maybe it's having some time off with the family. For some of you, that is actually causing you a lot of anxiety and fear, having time off with the family. Maybe you're hoping for an incredible Christmas present, PlayStation 5, that kind of thing. For Ruth, hint. Um, for Ruth and I, we booked a summer holiday, and that is a source of hope. That is a source of hope. The more holidays booked, the more hope. Maybe your level of hope is tied to the World Cup results. We probably should pray for you right now, because... It's not looking that great, is it? I thought we were... Anyway, I'm not going to get into Christmas. We've moved the Chris Dingle service. In prayerful, prophetic anticipation <laughs> that we will have to fill this room with our England flags if you're English. Other countries are welcome. So um, maybe your hope is tied to the happiness of your kids. Maybe you have a more seasonal view of hope. You see life as a series of seasons. So you might be thinking, do you know, when this happens, I will have hope. Or when I have some time, when my kids go to school, when, when this happens, I will have hope. Or maybe you're waiting for that next promotion, thinking, when I get that, then I'll be happy. Then I'll have hope. When, or that thing is bringing you hope. That anticipation of that thing happening is bringing you hope. When I get my next pay rise... That's what I'm hoping for. When I get my house, that's what I'm anticipating in hope. Maybe you're waiting in anticipation for your kids to leave home, and then you'll have your house back. Maybe you're thinking, if I can just get through Christmas and meet that deadline, then it will get better. But this kind of hope is false hope. It's based on our circumstances changing one way or another. Biblical hope isn't based on circumstances. It's not optimism that hopes everything will just turn out okay. I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase, a false horizon. You might have experienced it on one of the hilly Cornish walks. You're making your way up to what you think is the top of the hill, but only to find it's the start of the top of the hill. It's just a ridge before the hill even begins. Ruth and I um, went to Indonesia with some friends when we were at uni. That's what we did with our student grants back in the days. Don't copy us or judge us. So um, I said we liked holidays. Anyway, we were on Sumatra. Um, we stayed in a place called Lake Toba. Anyone been to Lake Toba? Didn't think so. It's basically an old volcano in the middle of this island. Obviously, Indonesia is this hugely volcanic string of islands. And there's, at some point, there's been this enormous volcanic eruption. And it's just left this massive um, lake, which is a crater, with this island in the middle. And it was the days before smartphones, way before Google Maps. We are that old, even though it's my 21st birthday today. Um, we stayed on the island in the lake. And one day, we thought it would be a good idea to climb to the top of the island. So we packed water and food. It was hot. It's basically like walking through a jungle. And we set out. And a good few hours in, we seemed to be getting to the top. And we were like wringing with sweat, 
we'd reached it with a, an enormous sense of relief that we had accomplished something. And we could now turn back because we had made it. We had conquered the island. But no, we had climbed literally the first stage of this thing. And hidden behind the ridge which we approached was the main summit of the island. What do you think we did? We turned around. There was no way, absolutely no way in that heat that we were going to try and get to there. It was just too hot. We had reached this false horizon. And maybe it's the same in our lives. We say to ourselves, when we just get over this ridge, things will get better, only to find that there is another ridge or another goal or another change. Real, lasting hope isn't based on our circumstances. It's not based on things of life that aren't permanent. Those things that can, whether you like it or not, be taken away or lost. That was a very negative sentence. Probably three negatives in there. What am I trying to say? I'm, saying, I'm trying to say real, lasting hope is rooted in those things that can't be taken away. Hope is rooted in the unshakable. And we need to have hope. Hope is crucial for the healthy human existence. Biblical hope is based on a person. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, and we sang about it earlier, says that we have a living hope. It says this, verse 1. Oh, no, verse 3, sorry. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is Peter writing. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. A living, active, resilient hope. Christmas can be a time of joy, laughter, and fun. It absolutely is. And I absolutely hope that is for all of us. But it can also be a super painful time when we reflect on loss, when we miss loved ones. This period of Advent, this season of Advent, is about waiting in anticipation because hope is a state of anticipation. Now, if you're asking the kids, what are you hoping for this Christmas? Went over to the sale loft. Kids, what are you hoping for? I'm guessing it would be a recital of their Christmas lists. Which present is the top priority? I'm hoping for an Xbox, me too. I'm hoping for a new fishing rod, yep, me too. I'm hoping for some new socks. Literally, I do need socks this Christmas. But hope is about waiting. And part of the root word for the biblical um, word used in the Bible for hope is almost like um, a rope under tension. That, that sense of tension in waiting and anticipation and expectation of the rope will suddenly give. Waiting for something in tension. Hope is about waiting in that state of tension before it releases. The, the imagery could be of a farmer waiting for harvest to happen. Waiting intense expectation of harvest. Waiting for God to break in. And that's what Christmas is all about, isn't it? Waiting for Jesus to come. Waiting for God to break into the world. Hope is a choice. And it's a choice we can base on God's faithfulness. His past faithfulness. Which motivates our hope and our future, we can look forward by looking backwards. But what are we ultimately waiting for? We are waiting for rescue. We're waiting for redemption. We're waiting for, for life and light. Waiting for rescue from evil, from death. Biblical hope isn't based on the odds. It's not a choice we wait for to bring about a future. That's a, but it's a choice, sorry, to wait for God to bring about a future that is as surprising as a crucified man rising from the dead. Christian hope looks back to the risen Jesus in order to look forward to our 
future resurrection. So let's finish. I said it was going to be practical. Here are your three practical points to finish with. Practical hope. Oh, there it is. Three practical invitations that I'd love to finish with. The first, you might want to take notes on this, is to journey through Advent with us in a Bible plan, in 24 readings. So we're going to start it on the 1st of December, and we'll all try and do it at the same time. A daily discipline to immerse ourselves in the Bible in the run-up to Christmas. Because if I say just prayerfully spend time with God, you'll be like, yeah, I really should do that. And then it will get to Christmas Eve and you're like, oh, I forgot to do that. So this, hopefully, will be an opportunity to daily come to your Bible, read the Christmas story all the way through, and prayerfully expect um, Jesus to break in this Christmas. So I'd love to invite you to take part in that Bible reading plan. It's on the YouVersion Bible app. Um, if you go to the events page on our website, click on the Advent devotional. There's a link to the plan we'll be doing, but it will also come out on an email this week. I think the 1st of December is Thursday, so we'll try and get it out to everyone by then. So the first one, practically, spend time going through the Advent devotional. Second, I was struck by a quote this week from Meister Eckhart. No idea who he is. He doesn't look like he's been alive recently. <laughs> um, it was a, yeah, I mean, let me like, eh, I think that's an old picture. Um, he said this, to be full of things is to be empty of God. To be empty of things is to be full of God. That's one to mull, isn't it? To be full of things is to be empty of God. To be empty of things is to be full of God. Christmas can be a time, this will surprise you, of overindulgence, adding more stuff into our lives. Busyness, hectic running around, loads of food, parties, endless chocolate, mince pies, and pigs in blankets. It's not all bad, is it? Um, but what would it look like for you to fast this Christmas? What would it look like for you to fast over the next four weeks? We fast to empty ourselves of the things that distract us from God. Fasting creates not only physical hunger, but a spiritual hunger for God. And it might seem completely counterintuitive to enter the period of Advent in a state of fasting, but I would love to invite you to spend some time. And it doesn't have to be food, but it can be. It could be a social media thing. It could be a day a week. It could be one meal. I'm not saying you all have to do it in the same way, but what would it look like to fast this Advent in a way to prepare our hearts for Christmas and trying to keep the main thing, the main thing this Christmas? Lastly, Advent devotional fasting, lastly, I know you will all have Christmas traditions like ice skating at the Eden Project, the Mausel Lights, Christmas Day Swim, Christmas Eve pyjamas. Um, where you open your stockings may have to be a certain place. When you open your presents, these kind of Christmas tradition, Christmas film. Have you got a film you go to every year? Oh, I started to watch Scrooge. Oh, anyway, and read Scrooge. Anyway, Christmas Carol, brilliant, run up to Christmas. Well, what would it look like to create a Christmas tradition of generosity and compassion this Advent? What would it look like to take your household, your family, or just you with friends on a journey of compassion and generosity this Christmas? It's a really, it's an interesting, isn't it? When we have a mindset nationally of cost of living crisis, of inflation, of not being enough money about, to, generosity can be the first thing that we pinch on. Well, what would it look like to go, actually, how can we be generous with our money, with our time, with our expertise, with our energy this Christmas? 
giving to the homeless appeal is absolutely brilliant. If you haven't done that this morning, feel free to bring stuff through the week as well over to the sale loft and we'll put it in. But why not volunteer somewhere this Christmas? Like, it, it can be so busy with all the stuff going on, but it'll be busy with the right stuff. So what about volunteering at a homeless shelter or a food bank? Starting a tradition that demonstrates God's love to help those in need this Christmas, I think would be a fantastic family, household, friendship tradition. I know some people last year, um, over the last few years, because COVID was so crazy, were taking um, hot meals out to the guys on the streets. Like, what an incredible tradition. You didn't just say, we're going to do it as a one-off. We said, actually, our family, our household, our friendship group is about looking out for those in need this Christmas, rather than just shutting the doors and putting the fire on. So, Advent devotional, fasting, and a, a a, a generating a tradition of generosity and compassion this Christmas. So, does that sound okay? I think that's record time. Look at that. Quarter to 12. It costs so much time. Um, do you want to stand if you're able? I'm just going to pray at the end.